You may be seated. Well, you know, it's on a Sunday like today that your true colors come out, and it's interesting to see the identities that some of you have taken on. I never would have thought it, this darker side for some of you. This morning, I want you to hear from a number of our seventh graders, and so I'm going to ask them to come up, and they're going to talk a little bit about uh, teamwork and working together. So they're all seventh graders. This is Emily Bonnet. What school do you go to, Emily? Fox. I mean, <laughs> Rachel Carson. Rachel Carson. Some of you guys know where that is. And then we got Mary-Kate, and Mary-Kate goes to Lunsford, as does Allie and Marissa. So we got three from Lunsford and one from Rachel Carson. All right. So the reason I wanted you to hear from these guys is because one of the spiritual highlights of my 2013 was with these four young women. We were at Middle School Youth Conference in Ocean City the weekend before Thanksgiving, and we had a really memorable time. Now, Emily, you had been to that conference before, but there was something a little different about this year's conference. Yeah, so we went last year, and the preacher was talking about how he's experienced like lots of traumatic happenings after all of his preachings, and something just clicked, and I guess I just started believing then. Okay. So you had heard this kind of stuff before, and you had been to conferences before, you've grown up in church, but maybe this was a time that you were ready, I guess. Yeah. Okay. And I remember you told me that afterwards, you were a little surprised because you couldn't hear angels singing, and there was no flash of light, and you know, you weren't like walking three feet above the floor and stuff like that. So you kind of wondered like, huh, you know, did I really make this commitment or is is there supposed to be something else happening here and then just within a few minutes it seemed like God provided a little confirmation for you tell them about that yeah so after I made my decision they we went upstairs and they gave us little bibles and I was like am I sure I'm a believer now and so I opened it up and it said welcome to God's family so I knew it was then it was kind of cool. The, the team that put this together, they had prayed for the kids in the weeks leading up, and every Bible that they gave out had a handwritten, personally signed note. That's very cool. So then, after you let me know you had made that decision, we went back to the hotel, and I said, hey, before you go to bed tonight, I would like to talk to you. So grab a friend, and let's meet. And we didn't really have uh, – one of the problems we had this year was we took too many middle schoolers, and so we, didn't, we couldn't fit in the hotel room like we've done in years past. So we kind of took over the lobby – on the 12th floor of the Holiday Inn, and I asked you to grab a friend, and you instead showed up with these three people. Why did you grab them? Well, we're really good friends, and um, Marissa has been my buddy ever since we were born, and um, Allie, I've known her ever since I've been to this church, and Mary-Kate came here a couple years back, and we're now really close, so... They're really good friends of mine. So Awesome. So I was a little surprised because they all show up and we sit down. And uh, Mary-Kate, the thing that I wanted to do for Emily, even though this was her personal decision and nobody else could make it for her, I wanted to make sure that she knew she wasn't alone and she didn't have to live out her faith you know, as a solo act. She had other people that would be there to cheer her on. Do you remember some of the things that the five of us talked about that night about ways that we could support and encourage each other spiritually? Um, we told her that we would always be praying for her, and whenever like she needed us, we would be there to help her, and we'd be like at a hinged and at church together, and we'd just always be there for her, and her entire life, she'd always have people just there encouraging her. So. 
Now, I get kind of her grabbing these two because she's known them her whole life. I mean, all three of you guys, other than Mary-Kate, have practically grown up here or, you know, I mean, since you were little, little. But Mary-Kate's a newcomer. So, Mary-Kate, how did you get involved in this group? Well, I met Marissa and Emily at Marissa's house, actually, because my dad works with Marissa's dad. So we were at their house, and Marissa was like, do you want to come hang hang out with us? And so I was like, sure, and that's where I met Marissa and Emily. And then after that, we were looking for a church, and so we came to Gateway. And I really liked it because I felt so involved, and I got really close really soon. So I really liked it. Well, it's obvious that they felt like you fit in, like somebody that's been here a long time. So that's cool. We talked for a while, and as we were wrapping things up, I was thinking of saying the pastoral you know, kind of thing to wrap it up, which is always, well, why don't we pray? And before I could do that, Emily the new Christian says, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we pray? And so then I was going to, again, take the pastoral responsibility and go, all right, well, let's pray then, you know. And before I could do that, Allie goes, okay, I'll do it. And so it's like, I felt like I really didn't even need to show up for this meeting. I could have just let them, you know, cover it themselves. Allie, I have seen in you what I think of as spiritual boldness because that willingness to pray, I'll ask a question on Wednesday night, you're willing to tackle it. If I'm looking for a volunteer for something, you're usually there. Why do you think it is that that's so easy for you to do? I just like to get into the Bible. Whenever we have a certain chapter or something we're reading, I just like to take something I see out of it and kind of just apply that. And I just like to pray for people. It makes me feel good. Awesome. That's a good thing. And I think for many of us, the first exposure we have to community would be growing up at home in a family where we realize we're not the only person. There's somebody else that can help us shoulder the load, somebody else that'll be there from the sidelines cheering us on. Can you think of ways that your family has been helpful to you as you've kind of grown spiritually? What are some things that have helped with them? I can definitely say that my family has been a huge influence on my spiritual life. Since my mom used to live in Jamaica, every few years we would go down there to visit my grandma and Almost every day, we just go out on the porch and kind of sing songs. We take a chapter from the Bible and kind of just learn from that. And we always, no matter where I am with family, we always do some kind of thing like that. That's very neat. Uh, Marissa, different kind of question for you because you, for me, are a logistical problem. So how can I get you to stop inviting your friends? Because you bring them in, and then we have more space that we need, more food, all kinds of stuff. And once you bring them, then they kind of end up hanging out, and I can't get rid of them. How do you explain this? Why do you invite people so much? Because because they look like they could use something. Like, I don't know. Because they're my friends, and I want them to be able to experience what I'm able to experience. Awesome. You know, that was really a compliment that I was paying you. I, was, I, was, I really appreciate that because you're one of our best inviters. So what is it for you that you've gotten from the youth group or from friends at church that's helped you to grow spiritually over the years? Part of it, like, I don't exactly really know exactly what it is because I've never been without the youth group, basically. I mean, I had... Before I was in youth, I had. Well, other and there's been like too, that week you went on vacation and you weren't around this. Thing. I mean, I just always feel like there's people behind me and I never have to worry about really not fitting in here because it's a place where I can just be myself and know that I will be accepted no matter what. And 
I basically love everyone in the youth group. And That's a really good answer. I guess you guys can see why I'm really proud of them. And I think there are lots of times in the last year and a half where I've been challenged by the example that our teenagers set. And I've seen that with my own kids where, you know, what they've been living out with their faith has kind of, uh, you know, rattled me a little bit. And it's like, wow, okay, you know, that's a very bold move they made. Am I that bold? Am I that courageous? Am I that passionate about my faith? And so I hope what you've heard a little bit of this morning will encourage and challenge you to be more connected to community. All right, you guys are going to have to share this microphone, pass it back and forth when you need it. Let's start with your name. I'm Graham Allen. Okay. Chris Jessup. Kevin Lee. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay, these three gentlemen have something in common. Aside from the fact that they are devastatingly handsome, they all won a high school state football championship. (laughs) And I would say some had more to do with that than others. (laughs) So... Graham, you and Chris played on the same team. You played for who? We played for Broad Run, Broad Run Spartans. Okay. Chris, what year did y'all win the state championship? 2008. Okay. And Kevin, you played for who? Chantilly. Okay. And what year did y'all win the state championship? Oh, boy. (laughs) Uh, A few years ago. 18. No. I'm not... Not that old, but uh, 96, 1996. Wow. Okay. So a few questions about that. can stay with you, Kevin. All right. So 1996, what was your record for the year? Do you remember at the end of the year what your record was? Yeah, we had one loss, 13-1. and one. Okay. Just curious, uh, Chris, what was y'all's record at the end of the year? Uh, we went 14-0. and up. Okay. Yeah, just curious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Kevin. <laughs> Who did you lose to? We lost like the fourth game of the season to West, West Potomac. We were okay. on the road and just played horribly. Okay. Yeah. It's unbelievable that you can remember that. Because that was 49 years ago and you, <laughs> and you still remember that. So who did y'all play in the playoffs, Kevin? Do you remember? Yeah, we played. First round, who'd you play? Oh, boy. It was last century. <laughs> Yeah, I forget the first round, but we played the regional final against Robinson. Okay, where? Yeah, uh, we played at Woodson. It was like neutral site. Okay, yeah. And we won pretty handily. And then, any Robinson fans? I mean, we only won like, yeah. So, and then after that, we played a team from Newport News, Kickatan. Okay. And then uh, George Washington, Danville. George Washington and Danville. Danville, down for the state What was final. the score of the final, do you remember? That's 14 nothing. Where'd y'all play? At Woodson. Okay. Yeah. And how was the weather? It was crazy. It was like literally raining all week. So it was really thick mud. It was, it was an ugly game, yeah. Okay. Chris, y'all went 14-0. and 0. Do you remember who you played in the first round? Loudoun County High School, I think. Okay. What? <laughs> <laughs> Who'd you play in the second round? Um, Potomac Falls High School. Okay. And then after that, was it semifinals after that? or? Yeah, Chancellor in Central Virginia, I think. Okay, yeah. Graham, who'd y'all play in the finals? 
We played Amherst County. Okay. And where did y'all play? Liberty. All right. In the snow. Yeah, so I was going to say, so Chris, what was the weather like for that championship game? It wasn't that cold, but it was probably about as cold or as warm as it could be and still snowing, so it snowed a couple inches. I have to say, Chris was the quarterback of the team, and I know your dad, so clearly the athletic ability came from your mom. Um, <laughs> but... saying i saw you make a really remarkable play and that well quite a few but i think one time that linebacker that they had it was so good i think he was the one tackling you in the backfield and i think you switched the ball from your right to your left hand and dumped it off to breon i think or somebody who scampered down the sideline because the whole team was on top of you so chris what was the most memorable thing about that game for you I, I really don't recall very much during the game. <laughs> it just happened so fast. I remember afterwards, everybody was crying, but that's about it. Kevin, for you, what was the most memorable part of it, of the experience? Because Chris is right. It's, yeah. The, the entire experience? Yeah. Well, to this day, I still can't fathom how, just throughout the season, it's a long season, even in high school. So to wake up and then do a full day of school and then practice, you know, for a few hours and then do homework. But to do all that, on the skimpiest school lunches ever made. <laughs> to do that for a whole season, remarkable. I'll tell you what. It all comes back to food for Kevin, Doug. <laughs> so, Graham, what was the most memorable thing about the experience for you? Um, probably that I was even on the team. I, didn't, <laughs> I really didn't think I was going to be playing football at all, but uh, ended up joining the team. So that was. So if, uh, you didn't think you were going to be a football player because? Because I was a soccer player, and okay. I was their kicker. Um, okay. So, yeah, I, ju- I joined my junior year, and this guy kind of helped talking me into joining the team. Okay, so now I, I don't know if you remember this, and Chris, I certainly don't know if you remember it, but I remember you coming home one day and telling me that at practice, I don't know if this was discipline or if the coach was giving you a hard time, but he wanted everybody on the team to stand in the position of the player that – do you remember what I'm talking about? I didn't check this with you beforehand. Do you remember me saying uh, – I don't know. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Everybody's supposed to stand in the position of the player that, I don't know, had it the easiest or something like that. And you got down in a lineman stance and everybody else stood like the kicker. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so just checking. Yeah. So if you had to give a one – or two word description of team reflecting on that team maybe what would it be i mean could go undefeated the greatest <laughs> or humble okay. okay but probably i don't know, like brotherhood it was kind of a it was a big like family experience our coaches tried to make it more than just about football so you just kind of didn't want to let the guy down you were playing next to. Okay, thanks. Chris? For that 2018, I'd probably say underdog. We were, weren't really supposed to win state or even. Or anything. Yeah. Actually, yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Kevin? Yeah, for us, it would be probably camaraderie. And we had gone far the previous year as well. But that team didn't finish. So for that one, it was to fulfill the destiny. So, like, fulfillment to really push to, to get better. So. Okay. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. Let's...
Uh, we've been talking about personal growth, change, transformation. We've called this series of lessons Renovate. And uh, what we're saying this morning is that the environment for renovation is team. Our team, for you and I, our team is authentic Christian community. That's where spiritual renovation happens. You know, the FBI has a sophisticated uh, profiling process, especially for those who are most wanted serial killers or psychopaths. The FBI profile begins with loner. When they're looking for a psychopath or a serial killer, the FBI profile begins with loner because community has a stabilizing, normalizing, improving influence over us. Authentic Christian community is the environment for renovation. And I'll guarantee you, if you are making bad choices in your life, if you're making choices that are destroying your marriage, if you're married, if you're making choices that are ending relationships if you're not married, if you're making choices that are hurting your career or hurting relationships around you, I'll guarantee you that you are distancing yourself from community because community is the environment of renovation. Spiritual and emotional renovation happens in the context of community. Over the last several weeks, we've said a variety of things about change in our lives, transformation in our lives. First of all, we said that growth, personal growth, personal change, that you and I would improve emotionally and spiritually, that is the expected outcome of a real connection with God. If we have a real vibrant connection with God, our lives are being changed. Secondly, we said the Bible is the handbook for spiritual and emotional renovation. The Bible is a remarkable book. I mean, if you're, you're part of Gateway, you probably believe that, and you certainly know that I do. But the Bible is this library of letters and stories and accounts of God interacting with people and then communicating to people both himself and what he was doing in those various interactions. So we get to hear story after story after story about someone who got it right, who stepped into community, who heard something from someone and changed the direction of their lives, and then we get to see the fruit of that. Or we get to hear story after story after story of people who get spoken to by God or somebody in their community comes and speaks to them and says, you're going exactly the wrong direction, and they don't listen, and we get to hear what happens as a result of that. The Bible is the handbook for emotional and spiritual renovation. Third thing we said is renovation has to start with the right vision. We've got to know where we're going and what we have the potential to look like if we have a meaningful, real, and vital connection with God. It has to start with a picture of what we want to be, of the person that we want to be, and the important part that our connection with God will play in that. That vision, that right vision, first of all, is us with God in control. We said that same week. We said also, that vision is us looking like Jesus. And you'll remember, if you've been part of these lessons, you'll remember that we have said, and listen to this, we have said that if you're married, your husband wants you to look like Jesus. If you have a job, your workmates want you to look like Jesus, whether or not they know it. We've said if you're a student, if, if you're in elementary school or middle school or high school, your friends want you to look like Jesus. They want you to be kind. 
They want you to serve their needs. They want you to come under them and lift them up. They want you to lay down your effort and your desires for them. They want you to look like Jesus. And we said a vision for our future is us looking like Jesus. We also said that that vision is really what Jesus called, his word was the kingdom of God, which we said means that what God ultimately wants done in our lives is done. And we agree. Then we said a renovating life is a life in which all aspects of our spiritual lives are expanding. They're growing. We talked about how it's a process. It's not a point of destination. It's a process for us. And all aspects of our lives, our spiritual lives, our emotional lives, are growing and expanding if our lives are renovating. First of all, we said that we will be growing in our love and worship of God. We talked about that for a week, and then last week we kind of experimented together on what it would look like for us to worship more meaningfully and more fully engaged corporately, and we had a little lab work last week, and I've heard from many of you about how spectacular last week's worship experience was, and it was for me as well. So thank you to those of you who participated last week, and we'll do it again. But we said, first of all, that if we're going to lead a renovating life, then all aspects of our connections, all aspects of our lives will be expanding. First, we said we'll be growing in our love and worship of God. And today, we're suggesting that we will be growing deeper and deeper in our relationships with other Christ followers. If we're going to lead a renovated life, then we will be growing deeper and deeper in our connections with other Christ followers. We'll be more more and more committed to serving them and to encouraging them. We'll be exercising our energy and our talents and our gifts in a way that builds other Christ followers up. We'll be helping them look more and more like Jesus. We'll be resolving conflicts more readily and more easily, and over time we'll be creating less conflict as we become more and more aware of our own character and its limitations. We'll be growing in our overall understanding of ourselves and of how we are experienced by other people. We'll feel more and more secure about who we are and who God is making us to be. As a result, we will be growing deeper and deeper in our relationships with other Christ followers. If we're going to lead a renovated life, if we're going to be renovating, we will be growing deeper and deeper in our relationships with other Christ followers. We will. And I'll guarantee you, if you find yourself becoming distant from community, then you are going to find yourself increasingly distant in your connection with God. And the reverse is also true. When you distance yourself from God, you will distance yourself from community. And you will find yourself feeling stagnant. And you'll show up one day on some friend, some old friend's doorstep, or you'll come to my office and you'll say, I don't feel it anymore. I, my life doesn't have any purpose. I don't have any direction. It will happen. Because the environment for renovation, the environment for transformation, the environment in which you and I grow more and more into the people that we long to be, the environment where that happens is Christian community. All right, when I say something like that, we're going deeper and deeper in our relationships with other Christ followers. Why do I single out Christ followers? That sounds kind of exclusive. Aren't we going to grow deeper and deeper in all of our relationships? And of course, yes, that's true. This isn't meant to be exclusive. But we have to acknowledge that we stand in a special kind of relationship to others who have a connection with God. 
listen to what the Apostle Paul said at one point in a letter to the church in Galatia. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul recognizes that this group of people is going through a tough time, and listen to what he says to them. He says, let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we're going to reap a harvest if we don't give up. And then he ends, therefore, as we have opportunity, hey, let's do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Because we have a special connection with other people who have the same vertical connection that we have. Remember, the environment for renovation is Christian community. That's our team. If you don't have a special connection with others who are Christ followers, then you cannot lead a a renovating life. That's borderline arrogant, but I really believe it. If you do not have a special connection, a regular connection, a growing, deepening connection with others who have a connection with God, you cannot live a transforming life. You will not find yourself being renovated. You will find yourself stuck over and over and over again. Instead of seeing yourself move from A to B to C, you will see A, A, A. If we don't have a special connection with others who are Christ followers, we can't lead a renovating life, will not be transforming, will not be changed for the better. We will not become the person we were designed to be, the person that we long to be. That's why we talk so much about community at Gateway. Community is not the point. You and I becoming more and more like Jesus, that's the point. But we talk about community at Gateway because that's the environment in which that happens. Your team supports you. Your team works with you. And your team influences you and molds you. If your team is Christian community, then you will be molded in a Godward direction. This is the environment for innovation. All right, as proof positive, I want to read a profound sampling of a book from the New Testament called Hebrews. They don't know exactly who wrote Hebrews, but it's a profound study of who Jesus was and what difference he made. And I want you to listen to this section in chapter 3 of Hebrews. He begins chapters 1 and 2 in Hebrews saying, you know, Jesus was incredible. Let me explain to you guys. He's probably writing to a Jewish audience. And he says, he's better than Moses. Look, Jesus is better than angels. Then he gets to this point. He warns them. He quotes from the Old Testament. He warns them. He says, don't harden your hearts. You know, open yourselves up to this. And then this verse. See to it, brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And the Greek language does something more easily than we do in English. The Greek language verbs are written, a verb like run or pass or catch or see. Verbs can be written in a way that it's not true for English. Verbs can be written in a singular form or a plural form. In English, we need to know the subject before we know whether it's singular or plural. So we'll say, fall family, run. Then we know it's a plural command. Or we could say, Pete, run. Then we know it's a singular command. But in Greek, you can look at the verb itself and know whether it's plural or singular. See to it is a plural verb. All of you, hey, all of you. Make sure, see to it, all of you together, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But do, do this. Encourage one another. Make it a soup of encouragement daily, as long as it's called today. So that's pretty much every day. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This is a community project. 
maybe he's waxing poetic. Maybe he doesn't literally mean that all of us are taking care of all of us in that way. Only he keeps repeating himself. Chapter 4, verse 1, he's made a point about how the word that he likes to use is the Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is rest. And that's his word for all that God has for us now and for eternity. He says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Down in verse 11, let us, therefore, make every effort, make every effort, plural. Let us, make all of us make an effort, make every effort, in fact, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. And finally, in chapter 10 of the same book, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. I want you to hear this most excellent passage of Scripture. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. So what he's done is he's used the Old Testament sacrifices as an analogy for what it's like to draw near to God. And he said all of those Old Testament sacrifices, well, all of that added together is not as awesome as what Jesus did in the one sacrifice. And his blood has made it possible for us to go right into the very presence of God. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let's draw near to God. Let us. All of us together, let's draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled. It's all corporate. It's all community. All of us together, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And now this critical two verses, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. How about some spiritual aerobics? Out of reverence for God's word, let's go old school and listen to these last two verses. If you miss everything else, don't miss this. Stand with me if you would. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider. Let's put time into it. Let's think about how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Because I think the author of Hebrews knows that there's not going to be a lot of love and there's not going to be much in the way of good deeds unless we're encouraging one another toward it. And let us not give up meeting together, even in the first century, as some are in the habit of doing, because they're just so busy, and they've got so many other priorities, and, you know, God, yeah, but I just don't have time to get together regularly with you guys for encouragement. Let's not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And that day is God's day, God's great day. You may be seated. Let's wrap up. Renovation is a team effort. Don't miss that. That's why, boys and girls, one of the most important things, that's why we did, thank you, Alex. Thank you, Emily. That's why we did this interview. Because one of the most important things that you can do, boys and girls, one of the most important things that you can do for your own development for your own character, for who you become, is to connect with Christian friends, to develop Christian friends. That's one of the most important things that can come out of your childhood. Many of you know, Graham is our youngest, our middle son is now teaching high school. I told him a number of times, he stands in a long line of educators. My mother was a teacher, her mother was a teacher, everybody on her side of the family were teachers or principals. I had an uncle who was a great principal in the state of South Carolina. He was president of the South Carolina, whatever it is, educators. 
And he was one of these really old school guys, kind of rough and tumble guy. And I can remember hearing him say many, many times, every time that somebody had some education innovation, for Uncle George, it was always a pooey on that education innovation. And what Uncle George would say is, look, if you get through the sixth grade and they know how to do arithmetic well and they know how to read at grade level and they love learning, you've done your job, then they're set. If you get through childhood and you love your parents and you can honor them and you have some connections with Christian friends, job well done, kids. Parents, that's for you too. If we get them through childhood and they have a meaningful connection with us and they have some Christian friends, job well done. That's how important Christian community is. Because it's the environment where real change is going to happen. If we're going to see ourselves or our children or our friends or our family develop into the people that God created them to be, that will happen in Christian community. Parents, encourage this as one of the most important things for your kids. And adults, this is why we've made involvement in a small group at Gateway our signature priority. This is what we do. Because the environment for renovation is Christian community. This is where positive change happens in our lives. Positive change does not happen. Life change, real life change, does not happen when you come here on Sunday morning and listen to me or anyone like me. And that's not because of my limitations, even though they're great. This is not where life change happens. This is the exchange of information You and I get inspired here on Sunday morning. Something is rekindled in us, and what happens in us is the inspiration to re-engage with the place where life change happens. And life change happens where you and I can confess our sins with one another and walk through stuff with one another. Life change happens when I can look at Kevin Lee and say, you know, Kevin, um, brother... um, I don't want to pick on Kevin. Kevin just got the gateway. But, Kevin, you've got this terrible habit of hitting people every time they disagree with you. And Kevin goes, I don't think so. I mean, a couple of times, yes, but I don't think so. No. No, pretty much every time somebody disagrees with you, you hit them. No, I th- I don't understand. I think you're wrong. Can you give me some examples? Well, a couple, this and this. Yeah, I, I, I hit them because, you know, they looked like they were going to hit me. And I hit them because they were moving funny. Okay. You know, Kevin's not any better. What are you talking about, Ed? Well, the next time Kevin and I are together and we're with a couple of other friends and somebody disagrees with them, and Kevin goes, bam! I say, Kevin, that's what I'm talking about. And now, now, it's not a sermon application point. It's not me saying on Sunday, um, when people disagree with you, don't hit them. It's me looking at Kevin man-to-man and saying, that's what I'm talking about. That's what it looks like. Can you see what you just did? Yeah, well, wait. Yeah, but, I mean, mean, they disagreed. Exactly. You can't hit them when they disagree with you. It doesn't promote relationship. You know, when it becomes all about you, it doesn't promote relationship. Can you see how every time somebody suggests something to you, you get defensive? Right there. That's what I'm talking. What are you feeling right now? Yeah, well, you're showing that. You're letting us all see that that's what you feel. Do you realize how off-putting that is? That's where life change happens. 
when you and I are 24 inches away from one another and I'm speaking into your life and you're speaking into mine. And eventually you and I have the potential to go, oh, okay, I get it. And here's where the rubber meets the road. When we humble ourselves and say, can you help? Because when I was growing up, every time I disagreed with my dad, he hit me. And I kind of thought that's what you did. Well, no, Kevin, that's not what you do. Let's work on another way. Gateway, if we're going to be the church that God intends for us to be, let's consider, let's think about together, let's strategize how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let's don't give up meeting together. I know it's hard. And some are in the habit of doing that, but let's not do that. But let's encourage one another daily. Let's find ways to encourage one another daily because it takes that. Because sometimes life is hard. Sometimes it feels like there's a little more than we can even take. It crests just over the top. And so we need daily encouragement, especially as we see God's great day approaching. And all God's people said...